Hey friends, it's Tamsin coming to you from be, I was about to say beyond the grave, but coming to you from the edit. We have some announcements before we get into this episode. We actually have three very exciting, very fun, if I do say so myself, announcements. Number one, we are having a live watch party because you know what? None of us want to say goodbye to Meredith alone. It is the end of an era. We are saying goodbye to our OG, our girl. And we just want to do it together. Hold hands while we cry, you know? You get it. You're all fans. So we are having a live watch party over Zoom so everyone can come. And also a dress-up party, a Grey's Anatomy-themed dress-up party. And I am having such a fun time deciding whether I want to wear something like, you know, black scrubs or if I want to come as a really gruesome injury or like, I don't know, the, the, the coconut extract that was forgotten in Izzy's muffins that time. There's lots of options and it's a very fun time. That's number one. Number two is that the way to get tickets to our live watch party is through our drum roll, drum roll, drum roll, Patreon. We did it. I know you're sick of hearing about podcasts starting Patreons, but guys, we're actually so excited about this because this way we can give you things and we can make this community a bit larger and we can drum roll again for the third time. We can give you merch. Oh my God. I know we made merch. How exciting. I'm excited. You're excited. So right now, for the first time, for the next week or so, when you sign up to our Patreon, you get merch, which come in the forms of tote bag, coffee mug, or stickers currently. And also you get a ticket to our live watch party, which will include hanging out with us over Zoom, having a chat, watching the episode together, crying together, having a dress up party, some sort of fashion show. We will have prizes and also a themed cocktail that Ayla has written and we can all make it and drink it together. And then if you want to stay for a little bit longer, we will be doing a live podcast recording where you can watch us do the podcast and also chime in via the Zoom texting thing via the zoom messenger thing via the zoom you know via the zoom msn messenger how else do i say it i'm a millennial sorry we will be there and it's going to be so much fun and there's more information and everything on the patreon on our instagram ask us questions we're here we will email you if you sign up and we'll chat further about it. But I don't want to hold you up too much because we have so much Grey's Anatomy to talk about. We have this episode to talk about. And let's just get on with it. And hopefully you all want a mug or you all want a tote bag or you all want to come to our fun, fabulous, ridiculous, gory, cryy, sad. Look, that's the biggest thing, isn't it? The sad part of it. Um, Party. We'll cry together. Cheers, Meredith, together. Say goodbye and all let her go and follow the sun. Let's get into this episode. Find us on Patreon or Instagram. We love you. Farewell. For now. I've been rambling. This is why, I don't know, maybe Ayla should do these, but I do them. And you get this rambly mess. Hope you enjoy this episode. So you blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hi everyone, welcome to Scalpels and Tequila, I'm Ayla. 
And I'm Tamsin, and today we are doing Season 3, Episode 18, Scars and Souvenirs. A very quippy episode, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting. See, I this episode was very light for me. Like, I I think we've had some heavy episodes of late, and this is the kind of the the lighter, easier one. Because I didn't, I don't know, I don't have many notes for this. A couple of big things happened, but I've got some big questions for this one. Oh yeah, and my Google history is a little bit concerning after this episode. I'd say. I was just in the middle of the night and I turned to Evan and I was like, oh, can you get your Google out? He was like, why? Hey, Google, how long does it take to recover after almost dying from drowning in hypothermia? Right, right. Because I feel like it's more than two to three weeks. Because, yeah, today Meredith is just back. She's back. She's just back. She's not in her fancy navy sheets or anything recovering in the hospital. And I've got a vague idea in timeline because Callie says it's been weeks since we've been living here or since we've been married. Mm. So it's been weeks, I think, and it takes about a week or two to get someone cremated and put in a fancy jar to store in the back of your cupboard. Yeah. I'm assuming Meredith's had a little bit of time off work though because she's like let's get this over with my mum like I've picked out an urn my mum is in the back of my closet I'm fine she's being cremated because if that if she'd been at work throughout this whole time she might not need to make an announcement like that it might have been happening through bits and pieces and they might know little bits and pieces along the way but it feels like it feels like she's had some time between her being in a hospital bed and her coming back to work. It's like she's had some days off potentially, but, yeah, maybe not. Just the announcement, if she'd been at work the whole time, seemed weird, but I guess it's just more for our benefit. I think realising last week that this entire last three seasons has taken place over one year. What a revelation. Still shook by it. Yeah, 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 totally. Also, speaking of Shook, thank you so much to Sabelle for writing in and helping us ease our concerns about taking aspirin. Oh, we should read that aloud. (laughs) (laughs) Just if anyone else is scared of taking aspirin and going for a run um, because of old zucchini legs a few episodes ago, (laughs) we have some answers because one of our listeners actually told us what a legend. So the message that I got says, Steve, Steve, Steve. <laughs> it's called compartment syndrome, severe swelling that causes excessive pressure inside a muscle compartment, generally caused by trauma or injury. Chronic compartment syndrome can be caused by intense repetitive exercise, i.e. a marathon, extremely painful, treated by cutting the fascia to reduce pressure. Aspirin may cause increased bleeding and pressure. So because he has this syndrome and he took aspirin and he did intense repetitive exercise, it swelled up and they had to cut it like because he already had a because he already had an injury. Correct. Yeah. So it's a little bit confusing still, but look, if you have an injury, rest it. 
or go to the doctor. Absolutely not. We are millennials. (laughs) Okay, speaking of injuries, I'm going to read Meredith's monologue. It's all about scars. Did I do it? It was beautiful. I was very impressed. People have scars in all sorts of unexpected places, like secret moat like secret roadmaps of their personal histories, diagrams of all their old wounds. Most of our wounds heal, leaving nothing behind but a scar, but some of them don't. Some wounds we carry with us everywhere, and though the cut's long gone, the pain still lingers. What's worse, new wounds which are horribly painful or old wounds that should have healed years ago and never did? Maybe our old wounds teach us something. They remind us where we've been and what we've overcome. They teach us lessons about what to avoid in the future. That's what we like to think, but that's not the way it is. Some things we just have to learn over and over and over again. It's funny. I feel like I'm learning new things about this show and my feelings about it on this watch, even though I've seen it over and over and over again. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because you don't you don't stop after every episode and dissect it. You leave it on, you watch it. You don't think about it as hard as you're thinking about it now. No, it is really nice those times when I just throw my computer down, stop taking notes and end up watching like three or four episodes. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's yeah. like, oh, this is this is the joy of the show again. Not that I'm not enjoying this actually, by the way. Sorry, I just meant like it's a, yeah, it's a different way to watch it. I think um, it's not justice for Izzy. It's how the hell... Did none of us realise Izzy is an absolutely terrible person until now? I like Izzy. I like Izzy. I'm going to keep trying to defend her. I like her. I hate how much she sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for it. I'm trying really hard not to hate her as well. I have such fond memories of Izzy, but like, woof. This is this is not it's not cute. She's incredibly generous to her friends. She's she wants to care and love her friends so much. She's just so she wants to be the center of their worlds and she gets a little bit shirty whenever she's not. She's hurting. Why? Because her fiance died and she's jealous that George can get married to the person that he wants to love and she can't. Is that that reason enough? Her best friend, George, hasn't been there for her since Denny died because he met someone else and has gone off and gotten married and moved out of the house and she feels so alone and she's still grieving. I still don't think stooping your best friend on a drunken night out is a great idea. It's not. That's never a good idea. So why is everyone using George as a, a broken heart balm? Because George is a terrible person. I... Again, she says to George, here's a thing that I keep really, really close to my chest. I don't tell anyone about because I don't want to be perceived in certain ways. Yeah. Please don't tell anyone. George is a terrible person. And apparently deeply emasculated by the fact that his partner has a whole lot of money. Completely. It's so icky. It's so gross. Because it's like, this this is a huge conversation. This like one person has a lot of money. Callie. George doesn't. They're at different stages of their career. They've come from different families. Callie wants to just just live and just be happy with George and just use the money how she wants. 
but as soon as George finds out, he chucks such a hissy fit. And the I'm your husband. Tell me things. Oh, I do. I, I do agree that you know they need to share stuff with each other. Yeah, one hundred percent. But but like this marriage just isn't work. There's so many problems in this. George chipping in whatever he can, I think, is the important part. I don't think the number matters. I think the fact that a, some money from George's paycheck goes into paying for this is what matters. But as soon as he realises that it's so minimal compared to what she's paying, he's so emasculated by it. He's so upset, but it's like everything should be like 30% or 20%, 10% of what one person earns and 10% of what another person earns is going to be a different value of money, but it's still the same percentage. There's a word for what I'm trying to say that I've forgotten. I keep equality is the only word that's coming to my mind, but that's not right. It's, um, look, let's just go with same, same, but different. Yeah, okay. It's still 10%, which I think is a really. I just made up this percentage, by the way, listeners. We don't know if it's 10%. We don't know what it is, but we're just picking a percentage. It's, I really like percentages. I like statistics as well. Uh, and I like fractions. So, it's, I remember during 2020, one of the billionaires was getting praised for having donated like $40 million towards something. And someone on the interwebs did the maths. They were like, yeah, that's yeah. the equivalent of this person donating 0.06% of their yearly income, which would basically be the same as you or I donating $1.20. Yeah. This is exactly, yeah, this is exactly the point. I think exactly. That should not be allowed. That's the important part in this conversation. It's like both of them need to be putting in the same, but the. That is the same. 10% is the same. The percentage has to be the same. The dollar value at the end isn't the important bit. Look, at the end of the day, money isn't terribly important. Like my partner at the moment isn't working, so I'm looking after the household. But. My house has never been cleaner. He is contributing in so many different ways that aren't financial. And honestly, yeah. if I yeah. can afford to be a sugar mama full time, I love having a tidy house. I love coming home and my partner's there. Don't know why I'm still coming home and cooking dinner every night. Because you're a good cook and you like cooking. That's yeah, true. I do. <laughs> It would be nice if someone else did it occasionally, not specifically Evan. Right. But just how much does it cost to hire a personal chef? I don't know. That's never going to happen. I'll probably end up standing in the kitchen being like, so tell me what you're doing. Yeah. You could be a personal chef for someone else though. So, again, how much does a personal <laughs> chef need? <laughs> um, how, how did you feel about Callie, I think her reaction to finding out George had told uh, Izzy and Meredith Appropriate. 100% appropriate. She cracked the shits. Fair. Because George, I mean, it would be annoying anyway. It would be bad she can crack the shits if this was the first time he'd done it. But this he's done this multiple times. He keeps doing this. He keeps not talking to Callie and talking to the others. It's so fine for him to have friends, but he keeps telling them specific things that she says like, hey, this is just, I'm only telling you this because we are now a partnership. 
we have chosen to be together. We have chosen to be each other's main person. And that is the only reason why I'm telling you this. And George will just run off and tell whoever he wants. And it's so disrespectful. It's so disrespectful. But I was completely thrown off center when she says, Izzy has feelings for you. She wants you. And that's why she hates me. I was like, it made absolute sense that Callie would feel that way. That makes complete sense. If a, in Callie's brain, that's that's the logical. That's what I would think too if I was Callie because why else would this girl be so mean to her for no reason? Um, George's response. Is the worst thing George has ever said and George has said some shit stuff. Oh, yeah, 100%. This is absolutely, this. not only is this a terrible thing to say, this shows the inner workings of his brain. Like to me, this is actually what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. This feels like the truth is out and George is a terrible person. She'd never go for me. She's a supermodel. Yeah. I, I, I did dislike the line of, oh, you know, you're gorgeous. You're curvy. And I was like, ooh, that mm-hmm. feels backhanded. Right. I hated it. I hated the whole thing. It's Izzy. She's blonde. She's a supermodel. And I'm just George. Like, what's wild is that when this was made, Izzy would have been considered, or Catherine Heigl would have been considered a plus size model. It's it's so it horrific. Was terrifying back then. But also, George, maybe not what you should have said. This just screams to me like, okay, so the only reason you even liked Callie to begin with was because Callie liked you. Yeah. Is that it? We saw that from the very beginning. Yeah. But still, like, still that's the only reason. He hasn't changed at all. And everyone keeps going around saying, oh, George, you got married too fast. Callie, you got married too fast. Who is this guy? Why? Why are you with him? Why, again, why are people marrying people that haven't spoken to them for months at a time? You you know, you don't, you guys don't even really know each other. I guess she's seen different sides of George because she was around when his family was all in there and his dad was dying. So she got to see him be that like family dude. But I can't, I can't for the life of me understand why why they got married people make really rash decisions when they're grieving and often seek life fulfilling activities but Callie wasn't grieving Callie had been treated so poorly for so long that I think she was just so excited to be involved again yeah but honestly her family we have found out is going to have the better lawyers Callie is getting out of this alive. Woof. And the fact that after all of this, Callie throws him out of the apartment. My mind with George's closeness to his family would have been like, hey, maybe go and speak to your mum about how to mm. make this marriage work if that's something that's important to you. He's, it's not important to him. But he doesn't. No, he just storms straight into Meredith's house, confronts Izzy and says, I need you to start liking my wife. You're my friend and that's my job. I got married and sometimes I feel like that's a bad idea. And for the first time ever, Izzy actually says something supportive. She's like, no one who has ever gotten married hasn't thought that at least once. George actually says, I need you to like my wife because sometimes I don't. 
I don't know how they've so quickly learned how to say wife. What? <laughs> That's not the bit I was focusing on. No, it's just the way he says it just sounds so derogatory oh. and possessive. Yeah. But also maybe I, I love the gripe of, oh, I have to apologise all the time. Yeah, maybe that's because you keep doing the same dumb shit all the time. George doesn't want to be in this marriage. Callie shouldn't want to be in this marriage. Izzy <laughs> has been saying the, the real thing this whole time, which is that they got married too fast and they shouldn't have gotten married. Like, she's been correct, but she just shouldn't have said it. I think the biggest problem is that, you know, acting and feeling as though marriage changes a relationship in any way. They have all these different expectations. If they were just technically married but still just dating like regular humans, I think they'd be fine. But they'd, ne- they'd never live together. They Like, they don't even live in a house. They live in a hotel. Like, everything's a bit much. Uh, it's a bit much. It's not quite. It's not. Yeah, it feels like they're playing a game, like a husband and wife game. Like this is what it should be like. This is what we should do. This is how we should be. And being in the hotel and getting room service every day, like $800 US a week. It's a fancy hotel. I couldn't justify that no matter how much money I was making. I don't understand why she doesn't just rent a place. Yeah, for $2,500 a week? Like, she can clearly afford it. That's the other thing that's confusing about this Callie situation is why was she living in the basement of the hospital? Yeah, I was thinking that. Maybe it was just to get the best. I mean, it was, she did say it was because she was there all the time. But, like, you can afford to pay to live across the road from a hospital in a fully furnished apartment. Exactly. Just live in, like, a great apartment really close. I feel like they just sort of threw that one in to explain away her staying the hotel. in the hotel. I think so too. Yeah, Mark and Weber. Who are both of them still living there? Is this the only hotel in Seattle? It must just be the closest one to the hospital. I reckon there's a budget motel. There's always crappy motels near hospitals. Oh, you're right, actually. Yeah, it's very confusing. I'm assuming Kelly just has like the best room. She's got the, you know, she's up on the top floor or whatever. I just can't, I just don't understand why she doesn't just get an apartment. But maybe it is because she's at the hospital all the time. Like she can't afford to cook. She doesn't want to have the time to go get groceries or whatever. And this is just easy. Yeah, but delivery services exist. You can still have food dropped to your house. Not with silverware, granted. I've got no idea how much. I reckon 2500 was pretty standard a month for apartments in the US back then. Yeah, I have no idea comparatively. I have absolutely no idea. It's just, it's just, I just think it's impacting this relationship even more. Like they're not properly living together. Yes. Living in a hotel where you have people clean and cook and bring you food, like it's not the same as like where you have a bit more responsibility and you have to live in each other's space and you have to do housework. Well, they're still in a fantasy land. Exactly. They're still, they were saying that they went to this Vegas and they were in their little Vegas bubble. It's still that, but they've just added work and people that they know. They're not fully out of that bubble yet. Mm-mm. So I do think this whole episode, I mean, clearly the theme is scars, right? Mm-hmm. Things that, things that have come back from the past or things they carry with them. And Callie's is the money. Yep. 
this is something that she admits that has affected all of her past relationships. That's why she doesn't want to talk about it. Men are gross. So this is something that she carries with her and she trusts George enough to let him in on her big secret and he just goes and fucks it up. So it's probably going to be a reason for one of the many reasons that this relationship doesn't work too. Whereas Colin Marlowe holds nothing back. No. He looks like he would be slippery to the touch and not in like a slimy way but in a his skin doesn't hold on to his bones right kind of way. Like we were talking about them a couple of weeks ago, those jelly plastic things that slip through your hands. Yeah. Colin Marlowe looks like he would be like that. He's just a very slimy individual. The way he saunters everywhere. He does saunter. He's got a sexy voice though. <laughs> Colin Marlowe is Christina's scar. Mm-hmm. And also a little bit of a stab in the side to Burke, Mark. Oh yeah. And Derek. Oh yeah. So it sounds like he is a cardio god. He's been someone that a lot of our attendings have looked up to for a long time. And he was also Christina's professor back at med school. Professor and boyfriend. Yes. I love her. If Izzy could just stop, although I did really enjoy Izzy at lunch today, nagging and begging at Christina for details. Yeah. Izzy's. Izzy hasn't had sex in a while. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> but the way Colin Marlowe enters this hospital, he's here because the chief is kind of, um, I guess, interviewing him in a way to become the next chief. And he gives Christina a hug in front of everyone and grabs her butt and makes everyone uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't know why he thought it was a good idea to go up and caress an intern in front of the current chief he's interviewing with he's a dog like peeing on his territory it's gross and all the men turn into these like dogs today he comes up he like pees all over christina he's like this is mine and then it sets off all of our attendings burke turns in turns so jealous and really gets up well i this I didn't like him a second time, Mr. Colin, when he's chasing Christina down because she's been avoiding him and hiding in utility closets with Meredith. And he doesn't kind of stop flirting and poking and prodding at her until she says she's getting married. And then it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I respect your boundaries because you belong to another man now. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I thought she was just collecting us like baseball cards. Yeah, but instead he starts poking and prodding at that other man. Because then we find out that it wasn't just a mm. professor sleeping with him to get a good grade. They were together mm. for three years. They had a proper relationship. Well, as much of a relationship as Christina can have. Totally. And he also says that he tried to propose to Christina multiple times, but she said she never wanted to get married. She said she, like, hated marriage, basically. Well, he said he wanted to do it because it felt like the right thing to do. Marlo is telling all of this stuff to Burke and will not quit, and he's just, like, trying to make Burke feel so small and so inadequate. 
and it's working. It's funny because if Burke actually listened to Christina, he would hear her side of it where she's like, no, we weren't in a relationship. He was my professor. I just slept with him. Well, he would realize that, hey, Marla's just doing all this to make you feel like this. Like this is, he's prodding you to get a rise out of you. Mm-hmm. And like your girlfriend saying, there was no, sorry, your fiance is saying there was no love there. Why are you getting your knickers in a twist? But he cannot listen to Christina because he is so insecure in this relationship with Christina. He doesn't really believe anything she says. Great marriage. Burke is so like he doesn't believe that she loves him. He doesn't believe that she has the capacity to share her emotions and share her feelings. And he, all of a sudden, this other guy saunters in and says, like, I had all of that with her as well. It's it's making him lose his goddamn mind. Mm -hmm. And we've known from the very start, and Christina's always established her her stance on these sort of things, but for some reason it takes a man to say it to Burke for him to realise that Christina was never interested in marriage. Yeah. He runs her on it and she says, no, Burke, of course I don't really believe in marriage. If you're going to be with someone, be with someone. And he's like, well, why are you going to do it? And it's like, because I don't care about marriage, but I do really, really care and love you. Yeah. So I want to do what makes you happy. It's not important to me, but if it's important to you, then I will do it. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. But Burke seems to think that because her and Marlo had their situation for three years and then she just left, that she could do the same thing to him. And I'm like, do you think being married would stop that, Burke? It's it's so confusing because it's like Christina has literally always said where she stands and how she feels even though he doesn't believe that she says how she feels she actually does say how she feels constantly and a part of that is that she doesn't like saying it that much she doesn't express herself as often but she does say it she does say her stance on so many issues he's just not listening to her no her love language is not words of affirmation and I think we all know that well her love language is clearly like actions yeah. Because she has proven time and time again in her actions how much she loves Burke. And how committed she is to Burke. All of the stuff with the hand and now getting married. Just to appease him. Moving in with him, which she didn't want to do. It's all these things that she has taken herself out of her comfort zone. She has put herself in, well, and her mm-hmm. career in, in jeopardy. This is all for Burke. It was when he said, I don't want you to marry me just to placate me. And I'm like, like, you didn't listen. You kind of do want her to marry you, to placate you. You want her to marry you to fit her into the mold of which you see being the suitable bride for you. You've known from the start that she's not, it's not that she doesn't want to be in a committed relationship with Burke. That's not the problem. Yeah. He sits on the same page as me of, like, I've never really understood the need for a legal document to prove you're in love kind of thing. But, like, she's going to do it. Yeah. Because he needs that. And I think that's almost 
more romantic than if she just really, really, really wanted to get married to get married because she loves marriage. I think it shows more how committed she is. Yeah, I completely agree. But, yeah, Burke's, oh, God, all the men. So this turns a bit awful and Christina is very concerned about the state of her relationship at the end of this because her scar is Colin Marlowe and he is here. So we don't have many patients today, but we have, we have two. Yeah, we have two. I think we don't have any patients today. No, I said we don't have many. We've oh. got the continuation of Jane Doe slash Ava. We don't know her name's Ava yet. Oh, sorry. Why did him call her a squish face? That's so horrible. I'm never calling anyone that. It's so bad. I'm so sorry. We have Mr. Schofield, who is an army veteran who's come in with mm-hmm. a bullet mm-hmm. in his scapula. And we've also got Helen Crawford who is an old friend, an old patient of Dr. Shepard's. Oh, I didn't like calling him Dr. Shepard. Why? That was weird. But this, she makes me the most happy. She's beautiful. She's just the most magnetic creature on the planet. She's astoundingly beautiful and her voice is just amazing and I adore her. So does Derek because he, when he talks to her, he's like an inch from her face. Every single time they talk, it's like they're about to make out. Why does anyone from Derek's past have to specifically mention that they were the only ones who didn't fall for him or have a crush on him? (laughs) I think because Derek walks around like everybody is in love with him. I thought that was Mark's job. That's why Derek and Mark are so like, competitive with each other because they hold that same space you know it's a bit like the world isn't big enough for the two of us oh are you okay I feel like I saw that in slow motion sorry team if Tamsin let that in my microphone just fell so Derek's been doing tumor resection surgeries on her every couple of years yeah they have a little break then they do a little bit more then they have a little break then they do a little bit more and she's basically said, nah, I'm done. Do what you can this time and then I'm going to go chill out on a beach. Because Derek has to be impressive today, he says no. So our attendings today are really showing off for Marlo. They are swinging their dicks, swinging the scalpels, trying to be little golden children. There's so much dick swinging these last couple of episodes. I, I can't. I actually, I'm so not invested in this storyline with this patient purely because of how annoying I find Derek in mm-hmm. this episode. I hated it. I hated him coming in and being like, no, you're wrong. What you wrong, you're yeah. going to blow through your savings, lose your memories, lose your motor function, and you're going to be all alone and sad. Um, I thought we weren't supposed to pressure people into surgeries, Derek. His his reasoning for all this pressure is that they're friends. He's like, I know you. We're friends. So I know better. It's it's so it's so gross to me because it's her life. She's clearly thought about this. 
Yeah, so basically he comes up with this very exciting procedure. Um, I can't tell you what it is, uh, that's going to get her tumor out all at once and he's gonna save her and and she should be blessed to have him as a friend. And I'm like, you just told her that at the end she's gonna die in pain and alone. So much for having friends then, mister. Couldn't she stay at your Hamptons house for a while? Maybe. Maybe. Anywho, so both Burke and Derek are in neighbouring ORs and they've both asked Daddy Marlowe to come in and watch how impressive they are. I probably would have asked the chief, to be honest. Yeah, all of a sudden they don't really care about being chief themselves. They just care about Marlowe thinking they're cool. Mm-hmm. So Marlowe's in Burke's surgery and he's very impressed and it goes well and whatever. And then next up is in Derek's surgery. And during the surgery, Helen, our patient today, she starts crashing. And Derek does the thing where they lie her on her back and they want to flip her on her side so the blood can pump better. But basically they figure out that she's going into cardiac arrest and he's going to need to do a cardiac massage, which is where they reach in and go for a big old squeeze on the big pumper muscle. Which is technically Burke's department. But Derek's like, nah, I can do it. I got this. Also, this is where it got really funny for me because we have seen surgeons dozens of times jump to other parts of the body because it's literally a life or death situation and it needs to be handled immediately. Yep. And cardiac massage is where they cut a rather large incision in the side, reach in through the ribs, and palpate your heart until it comes back online. It does. They saw up her side. He fixes her brain. Woohoo. But when they come out, there's so much screaming in the hallways today. They come out of the surgeries. Burke happened to have finished at a relatively similar time. And Marlo is singing Burke's, uh, singing Derek's praises about how right in the middle of his surgery, he had to do a cardiac massage and he pulled it off. And Burke gets real spicy about it because, well, that's that's my specialty. You shouldn't have been doing that. Well, you were in surgery. Yes, but I was right next door. You could have called me. And it's like, okay. But what is the logistics there, Burke? The logistics is Burke was just doing a surgery with Marlo watching. Marlo said a whole heap of shit about Christina and Burke felt so small and so emasculated that all of a sudden he's out in the hallway and he sees that not only has Marlo peed all over his territory today, Derek in surgery in front of Marlo started massaging a heart and in that is just peeing all over a different part of his territory. Now he has no territory and he's upset and he's cracking a sad. Throwing an absolute tanty, the amount of man tanties. And Weber rightfully comes downstairs and lets them have it. What are you all doing? We are in a hospital. Yeah. Thank you, Weber. Because this is not the first time Weber's had to do a bit of a yell today. Yeah, he's really getting his boss on today. He's doing it. He's doing the thing. Well, he's been so absent for so long. Yeah. Well, yeah, Jane Doe asks Alex right at the start of this episode whether or not she should go ahead with her plastic surgery on one of her eyes. Um, because the baby was in a bit of distress, so the surgery could put it under more stress. And, well, Alex's response is basically, 
it's really neither here or there. The baby's going to be monitored and looked after either way in three days or today. Yeah. So she goes ahead with the surgery. Uh, There are some complications. She starts bleeding and Addison has to be brought in to sew up her cervix, which just. Ow. Yeah, you want to avoid that if you can, I think. Yeah. Everyone? Yeah. Maybe don't. Oh, the thought of having those stitches pulled out just made my entire vagina retract further back up into myself. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> just like you f- you feel like you can feel your cervix jump. Ugh. I assume that's the similar reaction that men have when they see another man getting smacked in the balls. <laughs> Women go. And men go. Uh, funny. So, Ad- but Addison is furious at Mark. Absolutely furious. She starts screaming at him in the hallway, being like, "You didn't have to do this today. This is so dumb. You put the baby at risk. I had to sew up a cervix. I don't want to do that. That's not cool. That's not fun for anyone." But she calls him out for why he did the surgery today. Marlo. Yeah. Everyone is just. Marlo has made everyone lose their mind. It's the fact that they've put all of their patients at risk. Yeah. For the sake of having the cool kids' approval. Addison is the only attending that can keep her brain sane. Like, Addison is the only good one. Yeah, and we've said it time and time again. Being a really good chief of surgery doesn't have a lot to do with surgery. It has a lot to do with managing people, admin. Yeah. I assume rostering paperwork and Addison's currently the only person showing a level head and showing that she's capable of taking on those tasks. Everyone else is being showboaty. It's like, well, if your priority is groundbreaking surgeries and dedicating all of your time to your craft, being chief isn't really what you want. Totally. But at this point, I'm like, we need to pull all of these boys off the floor. Like they need to all go sit in a room and do some fucking paperwork, get the scalpels off them. They're dang- endangering people. Yep. For their own bravado and nothing else. Yeah. Not like those ingenious moments where our doctors come up with incredible cures and fixes for the sake of the patient. There's none of that whatsoever. No, not at all. Mm. The chief actually says, and I had to watch this three times, he was like, there's a lot of fragging going on in the hospital today. There's an epidemic of fragging. And I was like, is it what, sir? What? And I rewound it three times, then put the subtitles on and then Googled it. Okay, please. And he does say the word fragging, F-R-A-G-G-I-N. And this is going to be the segue to our next patient. Fragging, the deliberate or attempted killing by a soldier of a fellow soldier, usually a superior. Oh, okay. So that patient said a word and I was like, what does that word mean? Yep. Fragging. Yeah. Oh, is that why it's called fracking when they completely decimate the the world? I don't think they're connected. No. It was a bad joke. I didn't land it either. (laughs) Did you know? uh, So we're recording this on Lunar New Year. 
and Chinese Lunar New Year is the year of the rabbit, but Vietnamese Lunar New Year, do you know what year it is? The cat? Yeah. Cute. And all of the Lunar New Year cakes near my house are in these tins and they look just like Dolly. Oh, baby. It's interesting that the chief uses this word to describe our attendings as like killing each other. Because they should be working as a team. Yeah, they should be on the same team. So we have another patient today who comes in as Izzy's patient. In the clinic. In the clinic. And he is in pain because he has a bullet inside of him that has been in there since the Vietnam War. So 50 years at this point. And originally he just comes in for a little bit of pain medicine to try and fix it, try and heal the pain. But Izzy gets some x-rays and the chief is working on this case as well. We had to be doing something today. I know. And they they tell him that they're just going to take the whole bullet out, that there was no reason that it should have stayed in there. And we figure out, well, he kind of tells us, we didn't really figure anything out on our own. Um, this patient says that when it went in, the the first doctors, probably the ones at camp, like probably the doctors, the army, the doctors, army doctors, didn't want to take it out. They said that they couldn't take it out or there's no need to take it out. And he totally believes that it was all part of this conspiracy because he was shot by his own side. Mm-hmm. And if he had the, he wanted the bullet... Because if he could prove that it was their bullets, then he would prove that he was shot on by his teammates. I can't remember why he said that they were shooting, would have shot him. I think he disagreed with something. He disagreed with, like, their next movements. He, like, had other ideas about where they should go and what they should be doing, and he was kind of in disagreement. So he believes that they shot him. And this is this man's scar. He's been carrying this for 50 years that he was, he got attacked by his friends, by his comrades, by his own people. It's kind of been eating him up for a really long time and he needs to prove that he was right and he absolutely cannot move on. He says something to Izzy along the lines of like, I have been a grumpy man. I've been like grumpy and mean for so long and I just need this to prove that there was a reason. I came home and my wife didn't get it. I've got nothing left. This man's story is, I really like this story for as a patient. I really like the way that this story impacts the rest of our hospital and how on theme this story is because Izzy is the one to kind of say, like, I think you need to try and move on. And she's also saying that to herself, like she needs to try and move on from Denny as hard, as hard as it is. She also needs to move on from her hatred of Callie, which is the sort of vibe that I got from it as well because he has spent 50 years stewing in hatred for what has happened to him. And he says, like, it's this one thing has completely changed him as a person, this one bullet thing holding onto this resentment and this hate has completely changed him. Mm -hmm. And this thing with Callie, starting from Denny, It's completely changed, Izzy. Denny dying, her losing that, and then her starting to lose her support system is completely changing her. And she doesn't want to be this 
mean old lady in 50 years holding on to all of this loss and all of this pain. She needs to move on. And they all do. All of them with these scars that are coming back to haunt them today, they need to figure out a way to not let these scars impact their future. Kelly needs to find a way to live with the fact that she has money. I don't know if she does, but she just has to. I'm this. This also does not excuse George's actions, but we have to forgive people for ourselves to find freedom. We've talked about this on this podcast before, and it is so, so hard. George doesn't deserve the forgiveness. Callie, but Callie can't live with this idea that this money is going to make her relationships fall apart. Having money is going to make it hard for people to love her. Having money, she has to sort of figure out a way to realize that it's not the money and it's not her fault. It's other people's reactions and other people's insecurities and it has nothing to do with her and she needs to kind of take that in her stride and know that she is it's not her fault that these people can't handle it it doesn't change who she is or how she acts and I think this is something that I like to think it's not as much of as of a divisive issue anymore but I don't think I've really spoken to many men about how they feel about how much their partner earns because I frankly think it's none of their fucking business and they don't get an opinion in it. Mm -hmm. Surely not, you know, surely. I think it is. I reckon it's totally an issue. I think it still happens today, a thousand percent. By the idea of their partner earning more than them. Yeah, I reckon there's heaps of men that act like this. I would be fucking psyched to find out after all this that you've got some financial stability. Where is the thank you? doesn't exist George. because he just feels like he's emasculated by it. So how deluded are you that you think that your hotel suite costs $400? We've seen the lobby of this hotel. Uh, I know. I was going to say that too. Come on. He's an idiot. So there's more people with scars as well. So this bullet thing is the story that kind of carries through with everyone today. So I think even Burke feeling like he's so jealous of other men that have been in his fiance's life, that that's another thing that's a scar. Like it makes me think that Burke, Burke has had a relationship in the past that he was cheated on or that someone wasn't faithful to him. Like that's that's the feeling I get and he cannot seem to, to move on from whatever pain happened with a different partner and he's putting all of that on Christina and he can't move on. He can't find that ability to, that forgiveness in himself and move on. And we also have Meredith and her dad today. Oh, another man that was cheated on but was actually able to move on? Yeah. You missed your chance at a real good segue. Ah, I did. You do it. (laughs) You did. (laughs) Um, So you know how I mentioned that Christina was running around the hospital hiding in closets from Marlowe? Well, yes. She got that idea from Gray, who is walking through the hospital, having Izzy talk at her, 
like a broken record, and she suddenly peeps Susan and Thatcher and immediately darts into the the linen closet. No, utilities cupboard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, oh, we completely forgot to mention, the reason that Izzy was berating Meredith this morning and talking at her was because Izzy got out of the shower and Alex just meanders on into the bathroom. Yeah, we did forget that. Alex has moved in. Alex has moved in. With a really good reason as well because Meredith, Izzy is furious that Alex has moved in without any warning. She wasn't expecting to be naked in the bathroom and Alex to just appear. And he's taking George's room, which is, I think, more painful for Izzy because it really means that George isn't coming back. And Meredith says people are what matters and Alex is one of our people. And the girls rightly question, where was he living before? Right? They have no idea. We have no idea. I always just assumed he seems like a YMCA kind of guy to me. I have absolutely no idea. You know, like he just really needs somewhere to shit, shower, sleep. Very, like, I feel like Alex and Christina, same page. Yeah, they'd live together really well too, I think, because they wouldn't be in each other's space. They probably wouldn't need to cook or be around each other. They would just, like, sleep ships in the night. Yeah, they wouldn't really live there. The only biggest big difference would be Christina would probably need to leave her hellhole mess to her bedroom, but that's exactly what bedrooms are for. But anyway, Alex lives here now. Yeah, so Izzy's bitching at Meredith about it. Meredith sees her paternal father and her stepmother and goes for a cheeky hide. Um, so her and Christina have a very classic moment in the utilities closet about what we're going to do about the old guy and the parents until they, you know, do a little knock on the door and say, we can hear everything you're saying clearly. And Susan pops her head into the utilities closet and tells Meredith that her and Thatcher are there to check on her and see how she's doing with Ellis passing and says to Meredith, you know, we're your only family you have left. To which Meredith's response is, I don't see it that way. Neither do I. She doesn't know these people. She doesn't have any relationship with these people. Why are you pushing, Susan? Boundaries have been set time and time again. I'm not mad at Susan for this. I understand that you are, but I've I've said it before. Susan, I don't think is, I don't think Susan is super pushy. She she's just offering. I think Susan would just walk away. See, that's the thing. She said she'll just walk away a bunch of times, but each time she doesn't. She just keeps going. But she wants them all to get together tonight as a family and have dinner. And Derek is the one that pushes this. Mm-hmm. You need to bond with your people. Derek gets gets them all together. Derek says, have it at, have it at your house. Derek organises this little family dinner and Izzy cooks. And all of a sudden we're having dinner with Derek, Meredith, Thatcher and Susan. 
and it's awkward and hard and Meredith is struggling and Thatcher is struggling and Susan is lovely and Derek is lovely and everyone is kind of there to support these two just having a chat, meeting properly as adults. That episode sort of really climaxes at the end at Meredith's home and all of our characters end up gravitating here. Which I really like. There, there is a moment briefly where um, Thatcher is talking about a, uh, the new baby that Molly has just had and he mentions that he has this photograph of him and Molly as a child and he's describing the photograph and Meredith says that's that's not Molly, that's me, that's me in the picture. And and it makes Thatcher very embarrassed um, and he ends up leaving the dinner table when the power goes out to try and fix the fuse box. I also think he needs a minute. Mm-hmm. And there's a comment because he goes, oh, I'll get it, it's in the fuse box, I'll fix it. And Meredith says, oh, I keep forgetting that this is his house. Like he knows where everything is. And I think with this Thatcher and Meredith, like when we talk about them being family or not being family, I think we do have to remember that they they were a family unit for a little bit. They were. Doesn't mean they are now. Mm-hmm. But for the first about five, five, six years of Meredith's life, the three of them lived in this house together, maybe even longer. But the photo that they're describing, he says the girl is about five. So I think of her portrayed in the carousel as being sort of the last sort of time she saw Thatcher. It's about five or six. Mm, right. Yes, about five or six. So it's so weird to think about that, them living in this house. Yeah, she grew up there. Of course he knows where the fuse box is. Yeah. But it's a really good, you know, just before the fuse box comes off, Meredith, uh, Alex comes in after his day and Meredith is very eager for him to join them at dinner. Uh-huh. Because she said to Izzy, I've, I've got nothing to talk about. We've spoken about my job. Ask him about the baby, specifically about the baby poo. They can talk about that forever. She is not wrong. Really? People really like talking about their baby's poops. Well, I'm never going to bring that up around and come with a new baby. So Alex is here and then we have Christina stumbling in and she's having a crisis. Christina promised that uh, she would save Meredith from dinner and 45 minutes in she would come stumbling through the crisis. Well, unfortunately, she really is in crisis. And then this this barn door just keeps swinging because George has come storming in looking for Izzy. The dinner doesn't fall out. The dinner resolves kind of. Like I feel like we don't get a full resolution to this dinner, but what we do get is a moment out on the front porch with Meredith and Thatcher. And Thatcher says like, oh, you still have that swing. And Meredith says, yeah, no one uses it because it's broken. And he slides out a little piece of wood and he just says, oh, I I put this in here when you were little because you kept trapping your fingers. And all of a sudden the swing starts swinging again. And 
it's a pretty sweet moment. I think it's purely in there to show Meredith that even though a lot has changed now, everyone's different. You hold all these scars from your childhood. There was a time where you had a dad and he looked after you and he thought about things like that and fixed things so you wouldn't get hurt. There was a time. Well, she also thinks of Thatcher as not her family. Mm -hmm. But he knows things only family members would know around the house. Yeah. There's this moment where Thatcher's been gone for a little bit too long, so Derek goes down to the basement to find him. He finds him basking in the moonlight, sitting in a rocking chair, and Derek asks if everything's okay, and Thatcher just explains that he also needs a minute because he doesn't know how to talk to Meredith, Mm. and he feels like he's doing everything wrong, while Meredith is simultaneously saying exactly the same thing to Susan. Exactly. So we have... They both carry scars for Meredith's childhood. Thatcher, yes, his wife cheated on him so and left him, so he left. But what we hear is that he, after that, didn't even really try. He didn't try to get Meredith back. His Meredith, Ellis was telling him to stay away. So he was in this really hard position where he was so hurt and he was being pushed away from his daughter. And also we know that when Meredith was growing up, he drank a lot. So it probably made their relationship really strained in general. And now all of a sudden Thatcher has a new family. He has other kids. He has a wife and he seems stable and he seems committed. And it's like, it's almost like he is He is being a quote-unquote like dream dad in one sense of the word for this new family. So there's so much resentment that Meredith holds because she didn't get to have that dad. She didn't get to have that and they do and it's like a whole different person. And I guess Thatcher is feeling really guilty that he didn't try harder to keep Meredith in his life because Yes, you can be pushed away, you can be pushed away, you can be cheated on, you can be hurt, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like it's not Meredith's responsibility to try and find you and put you back in her life. It's like your responsibility to push push through and almost like just try harder. But I'm not like I, I'm just, I know it sounds like I'm, I just feel bad for everyone in this situation. I just feel bad for everyone. I don't see Thatcher as the villain. No, neither do I. And they're trying. They're going to see how it goes. It's like taking Thatcher to have confidence in being a father figure, have confidence in a relationship, have confidence in Susan, have this support network of a family. It's taken this to give him confidence to try and reconnect with Meredith. And now he's trying, but he needed Susan. He needed someone, a partner that wasn't treating him like shit, like Ellis was. Mm-hmm. And I think she's really helping him just with, with everything, helping him be a better person. She's loving him. Yeah. Loving him, doing everything that goes inside with being a partner. It's wild that that's still so foreign to him and he's been with her for so long. Ellis really did a number. Yeah. Ellis is his scar. Yeah. 
Whereas we didn't realise that Denny isn't is Izzy's scar, but so is Alex. Yeah. Because she's in the kitchen with what appears to be a thousand candles. And Alex thanks her for the food and says that he's got to head out. Izzy makes a joke saying, oh, you've got a hot date. Suddenly realise that Alex is going on a date and gets a bit butthurt about it. Mm. And it's just like you, it's like not interested means not interested. You missed your chance here. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, but I still don't want you seeing other people. And I hate I that. Think, totally. But I think Izzy's not interested wasn't just not interested. It was not ready. Yes. Correct. I think she's always going to have a spot, a soft spot for Alex. She's always going to hold a candle for Alex. She a thousand candles. She's going to hold a thousand candles in the wind for Alex. Just a fire hazard in that kitchen. <laughs> and it's hard. She wasn't ready. She's still not ready now. But I think she knows, you know, somewhere she knows that those two have a possibility to be together in the future. So it's always going to be hard for her to see him with anyone else. And it's really sweet that she can acknowledge that. It's a shitty thing to say, like it's hard for you to Mm. be going on a date with somebody else, but I actually think it's really brave of her to say that. Well, she gets distracted pretty soon. And then he kisses her on the cheek and it's so fucking sweet. I love these two together so much. Joe who? No. (laughs) Yeah, Izzy gets distracted pretty soon and we find out that You know, she learned a thing or two from a veteran. Yeah. George comes storming in and does the whole, you need to like my wife business. So they get drunk on tequila. Yeah. And George starts saying what he said to Callie. He starts Mm -hmm. saying, I said all this stuff to Callie and Callie thinks that you're into me and Callie thinks that I'm into you. And George says, So George has said a lot of infuriating things today, but I think this is the worst one. They start blaming Callie for Callie's reactions and saying, oh, it's just because Callie's insecure. I'm like, of course she's Mm. fucking insecure, George. You are making her insecure. You did this to her. She was fine. Confident fire of a woman. She was fine until you. Now she's a shell of herself. You are scarring her. If this is one of those relationships that really messes with your ability to be vulnerable and love anyone ever again. Yeah. It's got that flavor on it. Gaslighting her, belittling her, making her feel small because he is so insecure. He is absolutely shattering her confidence and her trust. There's nothing that she has told him in confidence that he hasn't immediately spilled to her friends for them to mock. No. And then we have one of those scenes where they do the drunken laughing at how ridiculous Callie is while looking longingly at each other's eyes. Yeah, it's not good. He threw up in my mouth uh, a little bit. Do we have to say it? Izzy and George sleep together. Well, maybe. Or maybe they're just naked in a bed. Like we, we, they wake up together in the morning. Christina and Meredith also sleep together in a cute best friends way. But the way that Izzy and George wake up is different. Yeah. So like 
worst hookups so far of this season have got to be, right? George and Izzy, George and Meredith, Alex and Olivia. I thought Alex and Olivia was pretty hot. Oh, except for when he couldn't. No, he could accomplish things. Yeah, but he absolutely fucked up everything with Izzy. That's what makes it bad to me. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, I thought you meant it was awkward. Just bad in all of the ways. Hookups that shouldn't have happened. Naughty time. Is there any more? Derek. Derek and Meredith, day one. Right. No, day one was great. It was day everything else after that. Day two to day 360. (laughs) Fair. I do like Meredith and Christina's moment together because even to this day, I think it's a real girl thing. We share beds with our friends. Yeah. And it's okay. And Christina's in Meredith's bed because she's in crisis and she is worried that she is going to screw up this engagement Mm -hmm. because she doesn't want to. She shouldn't. It's so sad that she's freaking out so hard about this because she hasn't done anything wrong. No. Burke is doing everything wrong. Oh, no. So next episode we have to deal with all of the fallout from Izzy and George, and I'm not looking forward to it. So we're going to need a second shirt, and it's going to need to say justice for Callie. We love you, Callie. You deserved better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and we will continue on. This episode feels like a two-parter, honestly. I feel like this hasn't really ended, but we will we will continue on next week. We'll pick back up next week. Thank you so much for all of your reviews. We've been reading them and it's so amazing. We love it. We love hearing from you. Keep it up. We're always here for a chat. And we'll be back with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Sing it. Bye. 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 Bye.